Hey, Dave here. Before we jump into my last episode as the host for this podcast, I just wanted to take a moment to say a few words. I realized while I was editing and listening to the conversation that you're about to hear that Magic Brian and I mentioned a number of the contributors that have been a part of the project, but we missed a few during the conversation, and I just wanted to make sure that I acknowledge the team of people who captured the recordings for the episodes during my time here. Robert Nelson, Timothy Hyde, Glenn Singer, Lindsay Lindbergh, Mike Wood, John Feely, Magic Brian, Nick Nicholas, Amy Saunders, Eric Amber, Derek Scott, Guy Collins, Al Miller, Shea Hooray, Matt Ricardo, and Derek McAllister. Without this team, none of this would have been possible. To all of those people whose stories we've recorded, thank you for your willingness to share your journey in the world of street theater with us. Your stories really have given this project meaning. And to all of you who've listened to an episode or two, or maybe more, thanks for lending us your ears and believing in this project enough to be its audience. The global street theater community is really a remarkable family, and it's been an honor and a privilege to be able to document some of it here during my seven and a half years of involvement. All right, let's get to it. There's never a shortage of stories from our world. Of course. And every performer who starts from their very first show is going to have a story from the pitch. Yeah. And every performer who's been at it for 30 years or 40 years is going to have a story from the pitch. And from the very beginning, I always thought that the stories from the pitch name, that title for the podcast, represented stories that happened on the pitch and the people who are the stories from the pitch. And I think we've done a really great job of capturing both the personal biographical stories of the people who are our world, as well as some of the fantastic stories that happened to those individuals on the pitch. Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to creating a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. I'm David Aiken, the Checkerboard Guy, and this will be my last episode as your host for this growing collection of interviews. There's a moment from the conversation that Robert Nelson had with Al Miller back in episode 6, which has been one of the guiding principles of this project ever since, and I wanted to share it again here before really diving into this episode. One of the most influential pieces of advice I got in the beginning was from Dom, you know, Dom Ferry? Yeah. He said, all the street performers and all the tricks that you see street performers do and all the jokes are all in a circle, right? And if you bring something new into the circle, then everyone will accept you and they'll admire you and respect you. But if you take from inside the circle, then you'll just be another generic kind of hack kind of show, you know what I mean? So I've always tried to impart that to new performers, like bring something new to the table and uh, you'll get respect and you'll ultimately be more successful. I love this concept that we're all part of the circle, of the tradition that is street theatre. I also love the notion that we both take from this tradition as well as contribute to it in whatever way we can. Making this podcast a reality was something that seemed well suited to my particular skill set, so I decided that this might be something that I could bring to the circle. I didn't always get it right, but my intentions from the outset were to capture the stories of this family and the connection we all have to the world of street theater. This world means so much to so many that it would be impossible for any one recording to capture it all. 100 episodes in, and it feels like we've barely scratched the surface. Now, this particular episode takes a bit of a tangent, not telling a story from the pitch per se, but rather an attempt to capture the history of the Stories from the Pitch project. It's been an incredible journey, and I've loved my time here, the people I've had the chance to connect with, and that we've captured so many amazing stories from the pitch. It's August 29th, 2018. Magic Brian is in Vancouver for the P&E, the Pacific National Exhibition. Uh, you're staying at my house, David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, co-founder of the Busker Hall of Fame and the Stories from the Pitch podcast. And, and we're, we're in North Vancouver. We're in North Vancouver. Let's make it specific. Because <laughs> you like to be specific. I, I do. Part of in your living room. And we're having a conversation about the podcast, the Busker Hall of Fame, how it all got started, and what's been happening in the last 
started in 2011 to 2018, so the last seven years. Right. So I thought, wouldn't it be a good idea to have a conversation about the podcast? Sure. For those who might be interested yeah. that listen to the podcast. Sure, right? sure. 17 or 500 people. It's, it's interesting, actually. You look at the stats, and some of the recordings have upwards of a thousand or more listens. Over oh, the you course. can see the listens? Yeah, you can see how many times it's been downloaded. Now, whether people download it and listen to it well, or just yeah. download it is yeah. another question. Right. And that's another thing. It's like, I think as performers, we become performers because we love the immediate feedback that we get from an audience. And with this whole project, you're putting it out into the interwebs hoping to get some kind of feedback, but it's really rare that you hear back from somebody saying, no, 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 we're listening. Yeah. So, all right, so then going back to the beginning, again, it was, my idea was like, well, let's talk about the inception of the podcast just to preserve that part of it because the whole idea of the podcast is to preserve the stories of us as street performers, our community as street performers, to preserve those stories, keep those stories, whether people are listening or not, we have them as an archive. Yeah. And so having this conversation is like, let's talk about how it all started. I know a bit of it, but I think it's important to archive the, the history of the, of the podcast itself. Right. Correct. Right. So you have the floor. So. Um, so the 2011 year I was <clears throat> being put on cruise ships that were going to Hawaii a lot and they would stop at Hilo and Hilo was just a hop, skip, and a jump from where Robert Nelson lived. And so Robert being a very influential street performer, we have a trading card for him that says King of the 80s in Pier 39 in mm-hmm. San Francisco. Yeah. So he had an enormous effect. He was influenced by a lot of people for sure, but then he influenced an enormous generation. The generation after him yeah. was significantly influenced by who he was yep. and what he And then did. that carries on to the next and the next and the, and the next, next and the next. different forms. It's that, that saying, you're standing on the shoulders, the shoulders of giants. giants. Yeah. And he was one of the giants, certainly whose shoulders I stood on, and a lot of other people did as well. And so when... I got this chance to go to Hawaii and go to Hilo, which was really close to where he lived. I wrote to him and I was like, hey, I'm coming through. Would it be cool if I stayed an extra day and hung out with you? And he checked with his wife and he's like, yeah, come stay for a day or two. And over the course of about two or three days in October of 2011, I sort of went, we should do a podcast. I mean, I know you're listening I'm just talking to him. I know you're listening to WTF, the podcast for comedians done by Mark Marin. And Oh, is that when he started that podcast? Before, even before that, cuz Robert was listening to the podcast. Oh, okay. He, now was was this when he knew that he was dying of cancer? Yeah, he'd already been diagnosed and he'd gone through treatment <clears throat> once. Right, okay. And then he was kind of ignoring the follow-up to the original treatment. And so nobody really knew how long he was going to be around. Mm-hmm. And he was alive and he was functional and belligerent as he always was. And I was like, hey, you're listening to this podcast. I've listened to this podcast. I get what this is. It's a conversation for comedians about comedians and talking about the comic business. There should be a podcast like that for street performing because. This is a highly undocumented world, and you being one of the key players in it for so long, it'd be great for you to have conversations with people or interviews with people, but really, when he talked to people, he ended up telling as many stories about himself as he did listening <laughs> to other people. He more stories about himself. Yeah. <laughs> he right. just shift to himself. Yeah, he would himself. totally bring it back to himself yeah. all the time. Yeah. But he was a great storyteller, and I always loved listening and editing those conversations because... It was great to just listen to him talk about who he was, where he'd been, what he'd done, and all the rest of it. When you thought about him being the main interviewer, is because you liked his stories? Or, like, did you not think that you could have? I'm not as good of a talker as he is. Right. And I'm not as connected with the community. I tend to keep to myself a little bit. That's my perception of myself anyway, that I like my time alone, I stick to myself a lot. 
But Robert was always in the thick of things. And so I always perceived him as being a much better person to have those conversations. And he was a great storyteller. So within the context of it... It's so interesting that you say that. Why is that? Why? Because, and we've talked about this before, like when I first started street performing, I think Al might have told me, and I was like trying to find festivals and stuff, he says, there's a chick guy, checkerboard guy, I go to his website, he's got all the festivals listed. I'm like, I don't know who the hell checkerboard guy is, but I'm just going to go to the website and look at all the festivals listed. Yeah. So for me, my perception of you is that you are in the thick of it. You're the guy that is the point person in the world of street performing, and also there's, it's hard to find someone, at least, at the very least, in North America, uh, Australia, New Zealand community, that doesn't know who you are or haven't heard of you. There's a difference between okay. being a hub of information and being a good talker. Like, you can... Yes, but you're in it. You're, you were saying about that you felt like he was more in, in the... Oh, I just I thought he was a better talker. Maybe I'm connected with people, yeah. but I always perceive myself as a hub for information. Right. So information flows through me, but it doesn't rest with me. Right. So I'm good at distributing information, but I'm not as good. Like there are great talkers in our world. Eric Amber's a great talker. I really enjoyed listening to Charlie Caper's interview that you did because he's a great storyteller and a great talker. Robert was a great talker. There are people in our world who are great. Shay. Shay's hilarious. I loved, like, the, the conversation he had with Pete Melnichek was just fantastic because it was clear that he loved Pete and it was clear that they were just making each other laugh. Mm -hmm. And it's beautiful. So, for me, the, the point of it was to find somebody who could be a good talker and talk to other people in this world and I would be the technical support. Sure. So, I view myself as technical support more than... Kind of like you're saying you're a hub for the information. Your right. technical support is kind of a similar... Right, it's role. that. It's like in the TV world, you'd be in front of the camera or behind the camera. Yeah, right. And I was, in this context, I was happy to be behind the camera. Just getting it set up. Set it up. So, I mean, it goes back to the original story. I was there for a couple of days, and it was, Robert, we should create a podcast for street performers. Let a couple hours pass. Robert... Your idea for a podcast is brilliant. I think I could help you do this. Let a couple of hours pass. Robert, should it be the Buskers Hall of Fame or the Busker Hall of Fame dot com? Busker Hall of Fame dot com. Okay, I'll go set that up. That's great. Okay, Robert, who do you want to be your first interview? Dot dot dot. Because you're just kind of like going. You want this to happen. I wanted it to happen. Yeah, be the lead voice on it. I didn't want to be the lead voice. Right, you wanted, I wanted that's him what I'm to be. The, he, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You want to push him to be the lead voice on it because. And I wanted it to feel like it was his idea, mm -hmm. and I wanted him to feel excited about this project, and I wanted to feel, you know, that he felt supported in the context of trying to make it happen. So within a week or so of having this conversation, I bought the domain name Busker Hall of Fame. I set up a WordPress website that we could put podcasts onto as a like a blog feed and I'd sort of implemented everything that made the back end of this idea a possibility and a reality and then I reached out to him and said alright so Henrik and Woody are coming to Vancouver to do shows and they're going to stay at our house and if we have a Skype conversation that can be your first interview. Yeah. And we did it. And I didn't know what I was doing, and he didn't know what he was doing, and Woody and Henrik were like, oh, oh, sure, let's try this. Let's see how it happens. And we recorded the first one, and I put it out with virtually no edits, and it went live, and people started downloading it. How did people find it? What did you... Well, I sort of reached out to the busking community and sort of said to people I knew... Here's something that went out, and I mean, we're still 2011. Facebook existed. There were social media channels that could mm -hmm. put this information out into the world, and so it started. And like anything, once you've put a seed into the world, people start people start listening to it. Yeah. It starts to grow, and you try to figure out what it is you're trying to do. And we had no clue. 
I mean, we're you know grasping at straws to try yeah. to figure out what it was that this thing was going to yeah. be. Because even like seven years ago, the technology is not what it is now. Right, of course. To make it happen, it's like. And you know, Robert was great. Like I, I went back again on cruise ships to heal, and I sat down with him, and we set up. Okay, you're going to do this interview, this interview, this interview, this interview. And he's get through three interviews. And he's like, oh, I'm freaking tired. Why are you making me do this? I hate you. But thank you. So you would you would plan interviews. You would you get there and say, okay. I would reach out. I said, who do you want to talk to? And I'd reach out to like ten people and see who responded. The time difference and everything would have been sure, changed. of course. So it's like all of that, the time lag between Hawaii and wherever these performers were, and you know, we tried to find people that would be interesting to have conversations with, and sometimes would do it by Skype. And initially, those original recordings were all over the map in terms of their quality. And Robert was not, you know, technically literate, per se, in terms of being able to make sure the audio was as good as it could be. Sure. But, but for me, it was a chance to capture him, his stories, his voice for the world before he was gone. Yeah. And... We started in October, late October 2011, and in August of 2012, he died. And we put out, I think, what is it, like nine or ten episodes where he was the main voice of the interviews. It's a lot of content. There's a lot of stuff. It, had I known how to do it better, I would have been happier. But we were doing the best we could with what we knew how to do. And, and the time you had to do it. In. Right. Right, along with doing gigs and yeah. trying to figure out how to make it better and all the rest of it. So it was all yeah. a challenge to try to figure it yeah, out. Yeah, I mean, for yeah, it's a lot of content for the time you had. It's, you know, you got a lot. We got enough. And it was also, again, you got a lot of his stories because even though he was interviewing, uh, air quotes, interviewing yeah. other people, he really just was talking about himself. <laughs> a lot of the those. time. Yeah. And so I, I sort of consider that the whole first phase of what the project was was trying to capture Robert yeah and in that time in those early days Lindsay Lindbergh came on board to try to help make it something better Mama Lou how did she how did you reach she started listening no no she started listening to it and then reached out to us okay and then wanted to be involved and at the time it's just you and Robert Robert's you're doing all the Tech end tech and the back end and doing end. the editing. And he's sure. just doing the conversations. Right. And I'm trying to take whatever conversation he does and turn it into an episode. And we didn't right. have a production schedule or we didn't have... No. You know, just, we were just putting them out as we could. Whenever yeah. I got one done, it went out. Yeah. And it felt really haphazard and kind of chaotic. Mm-hmm. And then... And then listened to it and then reached out. And she was interesting. She said, you know, we were driving across the country and we were listening to this in our car on the drive and I'd listen to it for like five minutes or ten minutes and then I'd feel like it was boring and it, just as I was about to turn it off oop, something else popped up that was really interesting yeah. that I was really interested in so I think over time we got better at taking the content that we were getting and making it better also as Robert got more comfortable with it he became a better interviewer slash conversationalist of course to yeah. pull that information out and then was it about April 2012 we got Glenn Singer to do an episode which was all stories about things that blood go wrong blood on the pitch right yeah. and it was a chance so, for somebody else to be an interviewer so when you say we is it that at this point is it still just you and Robert because you said Lindsay reached out to you to help out she just saw an opportunity to try to help guide or help steer it in a direction because again we were grasping at straws sure. she had a bit of a sense of let's try to craft this into something that's a bit more consistent have a regular release schedule have a product a product sure. create a brand for what this project is mm-hmm. and have a mission statement and try to craft it into something that is something that people who are wanting this content can feel supported in their listening habits are going to be supported by what we're trying to achieve with the mm-hmm. project yeah and i think we came a long way with it and i think Lindsay, she brought a female perspective to the project which was at times challenging because 
I was like, really? Do we have to think about this? Do we have to worry about it? And there would be pushback on both sides. But I think inevitably the podcasts were better because of her input than they would have been had she not inputted mm-hmm. her thoughts into it. Right. Challenging, challenging to work with, but challenging in a good way and challenging in a way that always was trying to achieve something better. I think in some ways when someone comes in on a product that you're working on, that you created, that wants to contribute, there's going to be pushback on your end because even though you might have been grasping at straws, you have a feeling of what you want to do. Right. Someone comes in with this other input, and then that is also fresh input where it's like, it might be some pushback, but it ends up being like, that's an opening to an idea that I never thought about. Sure, sure. It's like opening ideas and like, Oh, right. Different perspective on something. Oh, absolutely. And so, yeah, it can be good to... And I mean, she was involved early enough that she went back and listened to every episode from the beginning and then was like, okay, I see where this is. She's tried to sort of get what you were asking for. You know, you're talking about what is the vision for this project? She listened to all of the recordings. She's sort of strived to understand what it is that we were trying to do. And she based her suggestions and ideas upon what had come before and what she could see it could potentially be in the future. Right. And then you were there sort of early days as well. So if we're going to go with contributing people, like going from Lindsay, you know, reaching out to you. Mm -hmm. I didn't reach out to you. I was here with you. That's where it started with me. It's like I was here, staying here the first time in Vancouver I remember driving around in your car, your little escargot, mm. plastered with your face all over it, and checkerboards <laughs> and everything. And, uh, and then we're just having the conversation about the podcast and just capturing stories. At the time, I was really interested in capturing stories about my parents growing up in New York. Like, I have a perfect like history of New York City from my parents' perspective. Sure. So that was all in my head. And then uh, I'm like, this seems like a fun thing i worked in radio i worked in television so i had this background and and you're like well if you want to contribute you can help out i can throw you some recordings you can edit something yeah i mean and, and then i went yeah go for it i'll do that because it really felt like this is a thing that i don't know what it is but i'm doing it robert's passed away Lindsay's helping out are you interested because it's a thing that i don't know what it is right and yeah, I was and, like, and, yeah, I'll help out with a thing you don't know what it is. It sounds <laughs> fine to me. Like, I'm, yeah, it's cool. I like that, this concept. It's that thing about what is our world? What is the busking world? And I can't pinpoint what it is because it's yeah. cool. I think at the beginning, it's like, what is it? Um, Welcome to Stories from the Pitch, a podcast dedicated to living. creating a living oral history about street performers and some of the crazy characters who populate this world. And it is. It's we a perfect are, encapsulation of. We are a crazy bunch of people. Yeah. Who, you know, there's the weird uncle, there's the crazy aunt, there's the grandfather who comes over and, you know, checks in on people all the time. There's the grandson who's there trying to come up and prove himself. There's the granddaughter who's like saying, no, no, this is the way it should be done because I'm a woman and I'm strong and we should be independent and powerful. And it's like, we're all right. In our perspectives. I don't know. I guess it's just having a voice for everybody. And how arrogant is it of me to assume that I can be the voice for those people? No, no. I think you're facilitating the idea of, like, let's try to find the stories. Let's try to capture those people. And I remember initially when I was talking to you, my thing was like, well, it's a worldwide thing, right? So, And there's a huge worldwide community. But... We can't touch everybody unless we're part of, you know, there's, there's little circles, right? So you have little circles of things that pass by each other. So sure. there's like a bit of Europe, a bit of uh, North America, a bit of Australia, New Zealand. Yeah, sure. But then you can miss little things here and there. And so including everybody, initially I was thinking like, so does everyone know Butterfly Man? No. Does, no. And but, especially but, as the generations go forward. Of course, but at the time... And when he was still alive, but how much of Europe did he represent? Not much at all. Right. My initial thoughts of the podcast are like, all right, so it's called Busker Hall of Fame, Stories from the Pitch. Can we represent the whole world? And it's really difficult. I've learned over the years 
working on it, it's like really challenging to represent the whole world because we can only represent what we know that we can reach out to. Sure. Because at the point we're at now is we want the recordings to sound good. We want the quality to be good. So Skype recordings are not the best option. So getting people in different parts of the world, different time zones is really challenging. Yeah. So it's like, how do we capture these stories from these people that maybe not our community, and I think our community is pretty wide ranging, Sure. but we're missing gaps all oh, over the tons, place. Tons and tons and tons. So to go back, when Robert died, we reached out to other people asking them to capture interviews. So Glenn Singer did the first one, the Blood on the Pitch episode, was the mm-hmm. first one that was non-Robert driven as the, the interviewer. main interviewer. Yeah, 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 the main interviewer. And then Mike Wood joined on board, and then you started doing recordings as well. And since then, we've had... Uh, Matt Ricardo. Yeah, Matt Ricardo's done some. Al Eric, Miller. Al Miller. Uh, Shay. Shay did one. Um, uh, Eric Amber has done, done a few. Loads, yeah. Yeah. So what? the other thing I wanted it to be was, like, if you want to listen to somebody, if you want to hear their story, or if this friend you think is amazing should be included, make the time to capture their story. Right. I do not try to filter out information or conversations, I try to include them. The only thing that really sort of rubs me the wrong way is when somebody comes to us, the project, and says, I want to be included. That's not how I think it should be done. My opinion of the content is that it should be driven by people who want that content to be included, not by people who say, I should be included. I agree. And so, we've had a conversation about this. With- yeah, about uh, people who have come to us over the years and said, when's my interview going to happen? Yeah. It's like, then it's a different feeling. It's a different... doesn't feel... It feels self-promotional. And it's not about that. I want to do an interview with you because the community wants to hear your story. Yeah, so, or, or one of us decides, like, we're with somebody that... I mean, the thing is, like, we're not getting loads of feedback from people saying that you want to hear it from this person. So we're making the decisions based on where we are. So we're at a festival with somebody that we're like, oh, Andrew Elliott, I want to get an interview with him. Right. Let's talk to him. Right. So we're making the decisions because that's the nature of what's happening right now. Until we're getting the feedback from people saying like, you got to go talk to this person. Or I want to go talk to this person. Do you mind if I record it? No. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that's what happened in... Dubai, when Shay Hurray talked to Pete Melinchak, sure. Shay was like, I'd love to do an interview. Can I do it with Pete? And I was like, yeah, please, please. do. Yeah, please do. So it goes, instead of Pete coming to us saying, I want to be interviewed, it was Shay coming to us saying, can I please interview somebody that and I think should be included? And that's, exactly. that's, and that's, that's, and that, and that's something that Al's been doing. I guess I've been doing, I was doing it when you, I kind of, Came in. I was. Came I keep saying. Board. I keep thinking like you sucked me into it, but it wasn't really. Like I was happy to be a part of it, but yeah. Like and then, you know, I, I found my role with editing and, and interviewing, and I love the interviewing process. But then Al coming into it, also same thing. Like wanting to get those interviews, and then going. I'll also try to edit. Like having people come on the project, willing to, to contribute. contribute. In many ways. Yeah, it's not and just... It takes time, because it's really time-consuming. Like, the interview is the interview, and the interview takes time, and you need to have the right time. I, I always feel like, for me, the right time, the right space. You know, you can be at a festival, and it's chaotic and everything. You just need to find, like, when's the time to sit down? When both performers feel like, I can have a conversation. Because right. you do a day of shows. Sure. And at the end of the night, you're like, I don't want to talk about shit. I just want to have a drink at the bar or I want to go to sleep whatever it is yeah so find that right moment where it feels right to have a conversation is one thing and feel it's like it's not being forced it's like you're just having a conversation right and those are the ones that are the best because yeah. they feel like they flow the best they sound the best and everything makes sense and the other thing I really love about the whole process about having different interviewers <clears throat> is that each individual interviewer has a different style and so you get the conversations with Mike Wood where he'll ask a question 
and then he'll ask a secondary question to the primary question, and then a tertiary. So it goes question one, two, and three to get to the bottom of what his original thought was. Compare that to, say, Eric Amber, who is like a shotgun. He'll ask a question, he'll ask another question, he'll ask another question, he'll ask another question. And these questions are all over the map. But through the course of that process, you end up getting a picture of the person you're talking to. So for me, the project belongs to the community. It should belong to the community. And that community has a vast number of ways of looking at the world and they should be included, not just as interviewees, but as interviewers. And so the conversations that are the most interesting are between friends, talking in a way that is natural, and talking in a way that really captures the essence of who the person is and who that friendship is, what that friendship is. So, yeah, I mean, I'm well aware that in lots of cases, I'm not the right guy to do the interview. Maybe sometimes... I really enjoyed interviewing Gazo. I really enjoyed interviewing Andrew Elliott. I really had a good time learning about Dave Evans, the great Dave, when we had those conversations. Because in some cases, it was like I was able to push buttons to ask the questions that maybe somebody else would ask. With Gazo, for sure. With Dave Evans, as an example, I didn't know all of his back history. And it was really interesting for me to inquire about it and then shut up and listen because he's a great talker. He gave a great history of not only his career, but also the things that were around him during the time where he was going through everything. And with Andrew Elliott, it's just like, oh, wow, you have a completely different perspective than I do. And I'm going to be inquisitive and thoughtful and pushing things forward in a way that hopefully brings the best out of you so that you feel that you're being the best represented that you possibly can be through this whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And... I mean, that's another thing. In the editing process, I really do try to make everyone sound good, coherent, and positive about their experience in the world of street performing. And maybe that's my bias. I don't want people to say negative things about other people. Or Yeah, of course. That's fair. And I think that, yeah, the editing process is really the bigger part of it because the conversation is the conversation. It's you're hanging out with somebody... The only difference in the conversation is that this is recorded between the two of you. Right. It's not, it's a, you would maybe have these conversations, but you wouldn't be just like, I'm going to sit with you and talk only to you and talk mostly about you, which I don't think any performer minds having a conversation that's only about them. I think that... No, they, they, they love it. Like pretty much. You want me to talk about me? You, you want me to tell you about... Okay, I have five, Can I have five hours, please? Yeah. So yeah, having that conversation is sort of the easier part of it. It's then taking that conversation and sitting down with it and going, okay, so how do I clean it up just to, you know, I know you're saying like you want them to be in the most positive light. Fair I do. Yeah. It's also taking out some of the ticks, some of the little things that like slow down, like, you know, we all have little ticks. It could be like someone saying, um, 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 before every sentence. They're thinking out or, their thought. They're yeah. using the um as a way to process a thought before they actually say it. Yeah. So there's little things that then, that. That makes that part and, of it. Uh, um, so these things all slow down the conversation. Yeah. And it's, it's an enormous labor of love to go through, pull those things out so that a conversation flows naturally, yeah. sounds coherent, and doesn't sound as though somebody is trying to process a thought. They're just there. Yeah. I totally agree. And I think in some cases, for me anyway, that we've had this conversation before about the naturalness of it. It's like sometimes I, I leave some of those things in because that is a natural conversation. And there was one episode with Silver where he went to the bathroom. Right. And I'm like, this is perfect because this is the conversation. And then you cut it out. Yeah. And, and I, but we had this conversation yeah. about it. Like, and I was like, what I liked about it is, you know, I edited the whole thing and I listened to the whole conversation and I imagine I was there. I was right. there when right. he's like, right. I gotta take a piss. Yeah. Okay, goes to the bathroom, this moment, and it felt so real to me uh, that that was like, this is what it's like. Hanging out and talking to people, you go and take a piss. Yeah. Okay, so here's the proposition I propose you go get a beer and I take a piss. 
and we leave the recorder going. <laughs> okay, we listen to both those things happening. These things happen at the Perfect. same time, and then we come back and we go, all right, all let's, right. let's pick up with what are the chapters that the podcast has gone through since its beginning. Okay, that's fine, yeah. All right. And is it dealer's choice in the beer? Yeah, dealer's choice. You go, and I'll be okay. right back. I'll do the pee, you do the beer. All right. Done. For me, there's been sort of these different evolutions of what the project has been. Yeah. You said it was like the chapters. Chapters, yeah. yeah. And so the first chapter was really the Robert chapter, when Robert was alive and he was doing the interviews. And then the second chapter was trying to figure out what the project should be post-Robert Nelson. Because initially, my whole goal was to capture Robert Nelson and his stories and to have his voice recorded for posterity because I knew he wasn't going to be around forever. So the first chapter is Robert and Robert's voice and Robert's contributions. I wish I could have captured it cleaner and better quality audio. But, but we, that captures the time period as well. Sure. How you were able to do it. That's we, the reality. That's, that's part of the reality of what it was at the mm-hmm. time. And I'm not an audio technician. I don't. That's not my primary focus in terms of my life. Oh, no? I thought you were audio... No, 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 not audio checkerboard guy. I'm checkerboard guy, checkerboard guy. It's oh, okay, yeah. I, I thought yeah. it was audio in there somewhere. I guess I misread mm. your promo material. Yeah, no, not, <laughs> not primary focus. So, yeah, we were fumbling from the beginning. We fumbled along through the first chapter, and then as we made our way through that first chapter, we started to go, okay, let's try to not do as many Skype conversations. Let's try to do more live conversations. But at that we, point, Robert was... That was Towards the end, right? Well, Robert died in August, and I want to say April, but I'd have to look it up to be sure. Glenn Singer did the first episode, and Robert was alive to hear that the project would go beyond him. Oh, okay. He listened to that podcast, and he was like, okay, thank you. It's not all on me anymore. We have, the family is starting to pick up what this is supposed to be, and I can pass it along. And around that time, he said, I don't really want to do any more conversations because it was cancer in his neck and his throat. Mm-hmm. And the conversations were constantly filled with... <coughs> yeah. <coughs> and I'd edited them out the mm-hmm. best I could, but he just didn't want to be captured at a time when he was really sick. Yeah, of course. So he sort of backed away. He right. said, let's find other people to do the interviews and let's try to capture the world the best we can and please continue past my death he died and then we you know flash forward this is the next chapter the next chapter is like where are we going with this right the next chapter is very much oh my god Robert's dead and how do we continue and do we want to continue and if we do who is we now because you're saying we yeah Lindsay was involved you were kind of involved I think at that point Glenn was involved, and Mike Wood, I think, had started to do some stuff at that point because he did, I think he captured the interview with Matt Ricardo early on, and we released that early. I'd have to look at the actual release dates, Mm -hmm. but there was enough people sort of going, no, this is something that's good, and this is something that I want to support. And the summer of 2012, before Robert died, Dick Finkel in Edmonton, they have the Golden Finkelini Award. Mm-hmm. And he awarded it to Robert and I for starting this project. Oh, really? I didn't realize that. That's fantastic. Yeah, so before Robert died, he got to know that this project meant something to Dick Finkel and to the community as a whole and was recognized through that award, which right. was, it was nice. Yeah. And then slowly but surely, people stepped up and said, this should continue. That second chapter was like this transition of how do we move forward? So it's post, your second chapter is like post-Robert into you, Lindsay sure. helping out. Lindsay was Maybe doing Mike stuff. Wood was in there. Yeah. Something, and just trying to go, who's talking to who? Who's editing what? How do we keep this going? Right. And, and then part of it for me was to put a bow on Robert's involvement. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. was to go back through all the conversations he'd had and release stories about who he was. Well, Didn't you know, I, yeah, I worked on that. There was two episodes. Three. There was the was early three. days, the later days, and then the stories. Oh, yeah. There were three episodes dedicated to Robert to get through it, and that was huge. That was huge. Yeah, that was a giant... I thought it was two, but there was three? There were three. Jesus. And... Yeah, there's a lot of... Listening to him talk about himself to other people and then try to figure out how to piece it together into an actual... Talk at people. (laughs) Not talk to, talking at people. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, it was... Yeah. But also, you know, great stuff. Like, just... Yeah, fun, good energy. Like, you know, his personality really comes out, you know, fully... Mm-hmm. You feel his energy through all those stories. So maybe the second chapter was like fumbling forward without Robert and also paying tribute to Robert. That was that yeah. next chapter. Yeah. And then once we got those three episodes out, it was like, uh, there was this pause of me going, uh, do we want to continue beyond that? Mm-hmm. And people who had started doing interviews said, I got another one. I got another one. And then you went to Australia and you captured a bunch. And then Mike Wood went places and he captured a few. Lindsay captured a few. Lindsay wanted this to happen. And very much the content was driven by the participants who were willing to put in the work to make that conversation happen. So it's like you planted the seed and then it started growing. Sure. And the flower was here. The flower was there. And these flowers and the people that are... I was merely there, again, as the back end. How do I make sure that the voice that wants to express this content has the opportunity to express it? Gradually, over time, this thing became a bit more of a reality for people going, oh, no, the Busker Hall of Fame is something that's important. It's like, it's a stage. Yeah. It's a stage to go on. I created a stage for you to perform on if you're willing to put the work in to perform on it. Let me help facilitate your okay, contributions. Yeah, same thing as your first role. It's with Robert. But then when Robert passed and you took on the role of the voice of the podcast, basically. Well, I was kind of like doing the bumpers from the very beginning. Doing an introduction, doing a tail bumper, mm-hmm. and sort of like going, here's a conversation with Robert Nelson, go. Okay, that was a conversation with Robert Nelson, goodbye. Yeah. And then it was more like, okay, I'm going to be a bit more involved, a bit more involved, and a bit more involved. Yeah. Makes sense. It's, it's just, a natural progression. It, yeah, it just progressed that way. Yeah. And talking to various contributors, how do you want this presented? And people were like, well, I want you to be involved. So I was like, okay, well, I'll do the bumpers again. How do you want me to frame this piece? How do you want to be led into the conversation you had or whatever else and what do you want the presentation to be Mike came to us uh, about a year and a half ago saying I recorded a show at the Edmonton Street Performers Festival that you know Alan Plotkin who's a videographer captured and he was able to take the audio out of the video and just send it to me mm-hmm. and we put that out as a podcast yeah. because why not? Like this, not? The, there no, are no rules. No, exactly. I was gonna say, there's no rules. There's no rules. And if somebody who's listening to this now goes, I have an idea. Yeah. I want to do something. Great. Great. What please, yeah. please. You know, I always get this kind of pushback sometimes. Well, not always, but occasionally get pushback saying, I don't think it represents our world as well as it could. And my response is twofold. Number one, we're doing one story at a time and we're presenting that story the best we can. And that story is either like a short story or it's a bio episode, like a biographical episode where we're trying to encapsulate an individual's whole history in an hour long conversation, which is impossible to do. But we're doing our best. If you don't feel we're doing it well enough, then feel free to contact us, help you get a recorder. If it's on your cell phone and your voice recorder, that's worked in the past. If you want an actual dedicated digital recorder, we can probably help make that happen. 
if you want somebody recorded, tell us who it is. A, tell us who it is, and B, why not do the interview yourself? Yeah. If this person is so important to you, if you think this person is so great that you think they should be included, then go out and capture that interview. Right. Find out somebody you think should be included. And make it happen. And make it happen. Yeah. Because, you know, your whole approach from the beginning was you're facilitating the idea, like, you want Robert to capture some stuff, capture his history, his stories, let him capture stories from other people. Yeah. And the idea is, like, just get stories from people. Very much it's driven by... I want to capture something from somebody else. It's not, I want to contribute what my story is. Mm -hmm. It's not motivated by self. It's motivated by a desire to capture the world. Right. And that's been a primary focus from the very beginning. So when people contact us and go, why don't I get to be involved? It's like, well, have you done any edits? Have you captured any interviews? Have you done... Anything to help support the project? Interference or is Do you no? listen to it? Yeah. Do you even listen to the project? Yeah. You see that it exists, so you want to be a part of it, but have you listened to it? Yeah. Do you understand what it is? Yeah. And if your answer is no, then... Then fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. Basically, it's like you're trying to impose your will upon us when you haven't contributed anything to the project at all. Yeah. And if that's your approach... I got little or no time for you. Right. The other thing, too, is I think for the project to really grow, it needs another voice. Right. It needs something beyond my voice because my voice has said what it was trying to say. Sure. And now I'm happy to be involved for the the, the rest of my participation in this project because I still I love this world. I love everything it's given me. I wanted to give something back. From the very beginning, I felt that I had taken more from the world than I'd given. Hmm. So I felt that this project was a way for me to give back. Like everything that I'd been given from performers who had been mentors or, you know, lines I'd lifted off of other people or ideas or concepts that I'd been influenced by through other people. There's You're a, paying it back by the podcast. Like, I'm paying right. it back. I owe, I I owe these lines. I, get, I owe you at least a podcast for this right, one. Right, right. Yeah. Right. I felt like I was guilty of stealing from the world and that this was my way to contribute back to it. Yeah. One way or another, I was giving back the best way I knew how. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and this is, you know, another example. I stole the idea from Mark Maron's podcast to do something for the street performance world. Right. And is that theft? Well, that existed before I created this or, you know, Oh, made yeah. this happen. But I wanted this to exist. It didn't exist before. And I, through sheer force of will, convinced Robert Nelson that it, it was his idea and then convinced you that you wanted to be involved, convinced Mike Wood that he should do some interviews, sure, convinced uh, Al Miller that he should be involved. And one by one by one by one by one, anyone who's contributed to this project has been sucked into it through my... Yeah, well... Enthusiasm for trying to that, Yeah, it. that's what it is, yeah. It was your enthusiasm. I think, you know, just talking about it and where I was, thinking about, like, capturing history of stuff. And my background, like, that I love to edit. I, you know, worked in television and film, and I like creating something from nothing. Right. It's like, here's something raw. Make it into something that's, like... Polished. Yeah. It's a fun process. And it is, you know, it's a passion project because we don't know who really listens to it, how many people listen to it. You have a stat, uh, stats on the downloads, but that doesn't really tell you who's listening to it. Occasionally, I'll have friends mention that they've listened to it. Right. But for me, it's, you know, like I said earlier, archiving the stories, having them so they're there right. for whomever to listen to them. Right. Just having them. Because our community is so specific and unique mm. in the world. Mm. And yes, we're not getting everybody. Huh. And, and there's hundreds and hundreds of performers, street performers out there who have no idea that this is even a thing. Right. This podcast even exists. So it's like figuring out how to get to them. Even if three people listen to it, their stories are also captured. Their histories of street performer capture their 
journey through Street Before Me is captured. So it's there. It's an archive right. that will exist digitally in some form for someone to find and go, whoa, that happened? Right. For the most part, I think the only people that care are us. Yes, this is a super, super niche world. But because it's a super, super niche world, that makes it even more important to capture. Yeah. Because if you don't, nobody else will. Right. Sure. But your listenership is... Also super, super niche. Yeah. Yeah, it's tiny. Very small. So to go back to chapter one is the Robert Nelson. Oh, yeah, yeah. You go to the chapter. So, yeah. So yeah, chapter one is Robert Nelson. Chapter two is post-Robert, tributing Robert, and trying to figure out how to move forward. Chapter three is really, oh, wait a second. We're going into debt to put this thing out. Right. How do we not go into debt? And, and that was just the... The cost of the website. The cost of the putting out the website, the cost of buying equipment, digital recorders, trying to make this thing happen the best we could, nice microphones for doing the voiceovers, trying to make all that happen. And I put the word out to the community saying, this is costing us money. Are you interested in it continuing? And they responded, yes. I honestly was trying to find an out. <laughs> I was trying to go, if the community doesn't want to pay for this, I'm done. I'm done. And the community stepped up and paid for it. People all over the world contributed money. Wow. And we... I didn't realize that. No. That when I was on board? Yeah, when you were on board. I put out a, a call for donations, and I said, basically, if we don't reach our goal, the podcast finishes. I'm done. And I was like going, maybe we won't make that goal. Maybe I can be done with this project. Yeah. And it was in like... You know, 40s of episodes or 30s or 40s of episodes and I was like going, oh, maybe this is going to be done and I can get on with my life. Great. And people paid off and I was like, oh, okay, I'm stuck. They wanted to exist. And yeah. stuck is not the right word because... No, no, no. Because it's like there's a momentum. There's a momentum. interest. And that's great. Yet, there were all sorts of things that made it great for me at the beginning. I love putting together puzzles. And editing is like creating a puzzle, yeah. figuring out how to make it all work. And the other great thing was I was spending a lot of time on cruise ships at the time. This gave me something to do on cruise ships when there's Good a project. lot of downtime. Yeah. And it also was I had my computer. I had a digital recorder or a Skype conversation, and it didn't cost me anything. So I have two kids and a wife and a house and, a, like, the life and the costs – I didn't want to spend a whole lot of money on something that was just like a passion project. Passion project. And this was like, okay, for maybe, you know, like a thousand dollars or less, I was able to create the website, buy the recorders, have the software, get everything together so that I could do this on the road while I was traveling and make it happen. So for me, it was like a low cost hobby that could happen. Yeah. And it did. And then I was like going, maybe if the community doesn't want that to happen and we can't pay off our costs, then I can get out and I won't have to do it anymore. Yeah. And then they said, no, 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 we, no, want, we, want, yeah. we want this to continue. Yeah. So chapter three was like, oh, okay, we paid off everything that we spent. And then not only did we pay it all off, but sponsors came on board to put us from the red into the black. And, I should preface that by saying that nobody involved in this project has ever received a dime. No. Nobody gets money for this. It's all volunteer hours to capture the interviews, volunteer hours to do the edits, volunteer hours to... That's why it's a passion project. It's just you do it because you want to do it. You do it because you believe in it. Yeah. yeah. And we have a bit of a nest egg of money that's been accumulating. So you, you, like, what's interesting is you, you, as you talk about it, you keep saying we. We. But who is the we? Because it's really, I mean, the we is the community, but it's not, like, we is you, really. But you say we. But because who it's, is, we is the community. I am simply a conduit through which the community flows. Yeah, I guess so. And it goes back to being the hub. I don't view myself as 
the leader of this project. I allow... How do you not see that? I view myself as the facilitator of this project. So, from the beginning, we has been not me. This is not my project. I never felt like this was my project. And, yeah, I put a lot of time into it. But you can't help but drive it. For another few episodes. Yeah. Or I mean, until it's, if it's episode not your project, whose project is it? Because it's you're, the, you're, it's you're the community. It. It's the community's project. Yeah. And what I want, it, like ideally, my vision for this, you know, it goes from, okay, Robert Nelson years, wondering what it's going to be, sponsorship takes over, and then it just sort of rolls. Because, so you see it has three chapters? Right well, now. no, no. We're into chapter four or five because chapter four is the project paid for itself. The community paid for the project to exist. Yeah. Chapter four is we generate content as fast as we can. As fast as we can. For about two years, I was like pumping out one or two episodes a month. We were, yeah, we were doing two episodes a month. We and I could, I could not sustain that pace. I couldn't sustain it either. It was too much. It was too much. It's too hard. It was every experiment that I had was devoted to trying to put out another episode. And I couldn't sustain it. Yeah. Because I wasn't getting paid for it. Not that money is the criteria, but... It was distracting me from the m- job I needed to do to make money to support my family. Yeah. So I needed to be able to go, okay, no, wind back. So it, in the last two years, it's gone to the 15th of every month, we put out an episode. And I think that's a much more sustainable, realistic release schedule that isn't so taxing that it can't happen. Yeah. And so that's what it's become. And that's great. And yet, at the same time, it's like, I'm done. I'm done. I, yeah. I mean, I I went from, I want this to exist, to it now exists, to now it's starting to have legs of its own. And now, do I, how do I gracefully back yeah. away? Yeah. How do I gracefully back away and let another voice take over, another vision for what this should be? Because... I am a product of the 80s and 90s. And it should be handed over to somebody who is more recent. So that, I mean, that's... Who's that going to be? <laughs> well, and, and who is that going to be? I don't know. I mean, you've offered her very gracefully to, to try to move things forward when I just take a step back. And then it's going to be to you, that'll be the next chapter afterwards, to figure out what this project becomes once I've stepped back. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, I have loved being involved with this because it's given me so much. I've like listened to so many great conversations. I've it's Every time you do an edit, it feels like you're sitting with a friend or two. Yeah, for, for two, a week. Two days. Yeah. Two or three days. Yeah, depending on what, yeah. How long, how long it takes you? Yeah. How long if you, if you have you? lots of hours, it's two days. If it's not, it's like a week of like going back and forth. And you're like, I'm in that room with them. I'm listening to my, yeah, friends. I'm, my friends. I'm visiting with my friends. And that's ideally what the podcast is. You sit down for an hour or whatever the conversation, however long it lasts. And you feel like you're in a room at, you know, at the end of a night of shows. You're hanging out with people. You're having a drink. And you're listening to your friends talk. Yeah. And that's what I wanted to capture. Because those conversations are the magic of what our world is yeah and you know now i'm i'm there there are a couple things that are shifting one i'm doing fewer and fewer street shows and fewer and fewer street festivals and i don't feel like i'm a part of the world as much as i used to be right and so i feel it's appropriate to hand this to somebody who is very much a part of the world and who is having those conversations and who's trying to capture them that's one the other thing is I'm not really chasing the work that it involves to make this thing happen anymore. I'm like, I got what I wanted out of it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. And hopefully it has had a positive impact on our world and the people who listen to it. And if it has, great. Then fantastic. And I kind of want to put my creative energy into other projects. I started brewing beer a bunch of years ago. And I started creating performer-tributed beers. And I don't know, maybe this is going to become the career after me being a performer. I'm going to be a brewer. 
Yeah, and make good beer. So I don't see why we couldn't pursue that. And it'll allow me and, to stay at home. A, yeah. So I'm kind of moving towards a different direction. And now. still being creative in a different way. And and you get an audience. Your audience are your drinkers. Yeah. And they'll give you feedback right away. Right away. And, and if they like it, they like it. And if they don't, they don't. Yeah. It's, it's exactly the kind of feedback that I wanted as a performer. Mm -hmm. I wanted to do a show, hear back from the audience right away as to whether I was right or wrong, and then move forward from there. So... I kind of feel like I'm moving towards a different chapter in my life, mm -hmm. and that chapter is going to be less performance oriented and more like I'm going to I'm going to reference my history. Sure, I'm going to reference the people who were important to me. Can't help but do that for all sorts of reasons. Like the whole brewing thing for me is hitting the art and the science and the. It's, it's hitting the points for you, the things that you like. That it'll satisfy those things. What is it? it satisfies all my OCD, sure, yeah. crazy, detailed-oriented nature. Yeah, we can let those other things go and go, I can do this, and this is going to make me really happy because it's definitely ticking those boxes. And it's yeah, Exactly. It's yeah. ticking those boxes, and I'm still presenting it to an audience, and I get the feedback when people drink it, and they go, oh, yeah. my God, this is amazing. Yeah. And so... I'm moving to my next chapter. Like, the project has gone through all these chapters, and it needs to go to the next chapter that doesn't include me. Sure. And I need to move to my next chapter, which isn't necessarily involved with the podcast yeah. and isn't necessarily involved with performing. I mean, I've, at this point, 37 years doing it, coming up at 38. And, you know, if I make it to 40 years of being an entertainer, juggler, I feel like I've done pretty well. Yeah. And if I make say. it to, you know, like I'm 50 now, and if I make it to 60 still doing shows, and I know people who are at that age doing shows still, and it's great, but... You don't have to. I If I, if I don't have to. Yeah. If I don't have to and I have a choice, you go from feeling like I have to do this to make money to I want to do this. And if you stop wanting to do it, then it's time to stop. Yeah. So, um, do you, like, when you started the project, do you see, I mean, where it is now in context of not listenership, but just volume of stuff? Did you imagine that from the start at all? Like the, no. I had no idea. Was, yeah. I had no and idea what it would become. What, like, from the beginning, I was like, I'm going to capture Robert. How many episodes? I don't know. I want to capture some more stories. People want to contribute. Great. Let me help facilitate that. And, yeah, I hope it continues. Because it's it's a history that is rich. It's a history that is full. And it's a history that really deserves to be captured if the community is willing to put in the effort to make it happen. And that's going to be the the deciding factor. It's like you are a great community. And if you don't agree with the way I did it, I'm fine with that. Like I know there are a lot of people who look at it and go, Dave is that and that's what it is. But I don't agree with what that is. It's like, great. What is it that you want it to be? Make it that. Because it now exists. It exists as a platform upon which to hang your stories. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I, this is an invitation. It's been an invitation from the beginning. What stories do you want told and how do you want to tell them? Yeah. And if you're willing to put in the work to create an episode, one way or another, hopefully, there will be people still supporting this project in a way to allow you to do that. If you've ever taken something from this world, this is a place where you can contribute back. Mm -hmm. And the invitation is there. And the platform is there to do whatever you want to do to capture some part of the history of the street performing. Because it's a beautiful world and it deserves to be remembered. Yes, indeed. If we had a beer, I'd cheers you right now and say, thanks, David. The end. Well, I say we say the end and we go grab ourselves another beer. All right. I say the end. That was great. 
Stories from the Pitch is produced by the Busker Hall of Fame and is made possible through the efforts of a dedicated team who share a passion for the recording, editing, and presenting of these interviews. Seriously, the team I've had the privilege of working with is amazing, and none of the last 100 episodes that I've been involved with could have happened without them. And with that, I'd like to officially hand things over to the new creative head for the project, story editor, Magic Brian. This episode was proudly sponsored by Dolphin Creative, a company dedicated to supporting street theater and all of the incredible characters who make up this world. Wherever you perform, Dolphin Creative salutes you. For more information, please visit dolphincreative.org. And a huge thanks to Stuart and his team for sponsoring this episode. If you'd like to support what we're doing, please consider visiting the Busker Hall of Fame website and throwing a little love into our online hat by clicking on the donate button. Or become a sustaining supporter of this project at patreon.com forward slash busker stories. For as little as a dollar a month, you can help grow this resource and generate more content. Thanks in advance for supporting this project and helping keep busking history alive. Music for this podcast came from 357 Lover. Links to both songs are available in the notes section of this episode on the Busker Hall of Fame website. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Just go to your favorite app, type in Stories from the Pitch, and download away. If you enjoyed the podcast, please tell a friend about it and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Got a story to tell? Something you think we can improve? A performer you'd like us to interview? Or perhaps you're interested in becoming a sponsor for an upcoming episode? If so, contact me at magic at buskerhalloffame.com. Haven't gotten enough Busker Hall of Fame content yet? Well, then check out our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash buskerhalloffame. You can follow us on Twitter, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Links to all these can be found on the Busker Hall of Fame website on the right-hand side of the page. And please check out the online content associated with this episode, where you'll find images from the Checkerboard Guys photo archives that document various stages during the first 100 episodes of this project. It's clear to this interview that Dave really cared about trying to create a living oral history about street performing and some of the crazy characters that populate this world. But it didn't come without certain frustrations. What I wanted this to be from the very beginning was a platform where anybody who wanted to contribute to the voice of what our family is could have a voice. And the frustration for me is that people have opinions, but they're not willing to put in the time for those opinions to be heard. I hope you'll all join me in the next phase of this project, where I'm likely to encounter my own frustrations in pursuit of preserving the history of our crazy world. On behalf of myself... Original facilitator and hub extraordinaire David Aiken, the checkerboard guy, and the rest of the staff of the Busker Hall of Fame, we hope this finds you well. And remember, if you can't laugh at yourself, find someone else and laugh at them. I'm Magic Brian. Thanks for listening. Robert, your idea for a podcast is brilliant. I think I could help you do this.